Thank you, Elena Lane. Words from Ruth chapter 1, which is our sermon text this morning. We're going to go through the book of Ruth over the next several weeks. I'll explain in a few moments why. Well, I'll tell you why. We just went through Judges, and uh, Ruth happens in the time of the Judges, so probably our best opportunity to have a sense of the context of Ruth. And this is a, just a well-loved book, a great uh, account of God's faithfulness and his power to save. So always planned on preaching this book, so we'll go through it over the next month or so. Ruth chapter 1, this is God's holy word. He gives it to us, his people, for our good. Let's attend to its reading. For the grass withers and the flower fades, his word endures forever. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dad and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Young children can often get a quick sense of direction when your life has sort of your, the spots you go to, school, church, the grocery store, they tend to learn the direction pretty quickly and know where you're headed and they'll tell you the turns that you're supposed to make, turn this way here, turn that way there, pretty impressive and just the way the human mind can wrap its, its head around, wrap its ability to comprehend around those things from a young age. I'm the kind of driver, however, that likes to often take different ways to places, keep things fresh, and I like to wind my way through roads and often uh, go different ways to our uh, normal spots. That can be very frustrating to a couple of my children who have started to get a sense of things, and so you'll hear them crying out, well, where are we going? Uh, This is the wrong way. This isn't the way to such and such a place. And of course, I I have to say, you need to trust me. I know where I'm going. Maybe that's perhaps not always true, but I know where I'm going, I'll say to them, and uh, and we'll get there. And so it's gotten to the point now where my daughters, they'll say, is this a shortcut? And I'll always say yes, and sometimes maybe if it's dragging on for a while, one of them will say, is this a long cut? And uh, I'll have to say yes to that as well. We often can be like those young children. We, we feel like there's one way to get to where we're going. And we, we doubt when our circumstances have gone off that path. Well, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This is, maybe God's made a mistake. This isn't the, the life I had planned. This isn't the the road that I had wanted to travel. We have that, that one, most of the time, kind of that one sense, this is how life should go. And it never goes exactly that way. For God's people, we are called to live a life of trust and, and a life of faith. To live a life of trust is to have an openness to the working of God. To say, look, I'm not in control here. And God may bring a lot of different things my way. But because I trust him, I'm open to his working. So Isaiah 55 is a great scripture to cling to in those times. It says there, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. So to be a person of faith, to be a person of trust is to have this openness to the working of God. And that can be seen in our lives in many ways, but a few that we'll focus on today 
would be self-sacrifice. If we have an openness to the working of God, even when things don't go our way, our lives can be filled with with self-sacrifice and with devotion because we're not consumed with trying to kind of right the ship for our own life. And then a desire to show forth God's love to others. See, God loves in a very particular way all of grace and all of mercy. And so if we have an openness to his working, filled with faith and trust, then we can show forth the kind of love that God has for his people. It's summarized in the biblical word hesed, loving kindness, steadfast love, all the the positive attributes of God. So a life of trust that gives way to sacrifice, devotion, and a desire to show forth the kind of love that God has. Let's consider all of these things as we look to Ruth. As we said, hopefully that first line hits you in a way that hasn't before in Ruth. In the time when the judges reigned, we just spent uh, the better part, or most of 2020, we're in 2020, yes, 2020, uh, going through the book of Judges. And what a, what a blessing that was to see and to look at uh, those many scripture passages in that book and to deal with them and to see God's redemption, his grace and his mercy. But having studied that and knowing a little bit about the book of Ruth, you, most of you probably know the book of Ruth, you know that the, the larger themes are really not very that similar to Judges. In Judges we see idolatry, paganism, rebellion against God, immorality that we, you don't see anywhere else amongst God's people, uh, mostly in Scripture. Reprehensible kinds of things and things that are embarrassing as God's people, that make us blush as we think this is the kinds of things that uh, have happened even amongst our people. But in Ruth, what do we find? We see virtue, we see courage, we see faith, we see trust, we see love, compassion, and mercy. And even in, in those, just that recognition that there's a great contrast between Judges and Ruth, we start to see many lessons emerge. One of the things is that we, we recognize that, that God is always working. The God who is sovereign, who's weaving his purposes together. He is always working and he is often working in situations that would not be noticed to the human eye. The human eye would not take notice of many of the things in which God works. The world looks at those in power to get a sense of what's really going on. And judges largely did that. It, it focused on the leadership of the people of God. But in Ruth, we have this insignificant family who becomes increasingly more insignificant as the first few verses go on, where all of the men die and they lose all of their hope for a stable life and uh, continuing the family line. They are probably going to be, these three widows are going to be trapped in poverty in all likelihood. It's going to be a very difficult life. It's going to be a very bitter life as Naomi says, and yet God in his sovereignty weaves together an amazing set of circumstances to provide redemption for this family. You have to read Ruth knowing that the end of the book of Ruth, one of the main purposes that uh, certainly the narrator gives us Ruth, is to show us how King David was born. And you think of that situation in the desert with Ruth and Orpah and Naomi. And in those moments, it could have been just tiny little things that happened that sent Ruth the other way. Something tugging at her heart to say, go back to Moab. 
but she doesn't. And because of that, merely a few generations later, you have the greatest king born in the history of Israel. And it goes beyond David, of course. The human line of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, runs through this situation in in Ruth 1 in the desert with a Moabite woman clinging to her mother-in-law. So God is always at work. Secondly, in the midst of the world of the judges, which is a very immoral world, we see that there are characters with character. There are people who are filled with virtue. There are people who are showing forth positive human attributes and moral characteristics. This reminds us that even in the midst of an immoral age, God has a remnant for himself. And where God is at work, the Spirit is at work. And where the Spirit is at work, there you will find a sanctified people. People who show forth the kinds of things to which God calls us. It's a reminder to us that even we who live in a strikingly immoral age, we see many twisted and evil and wicked things in our world, it does not mean that we need to follow those trends. In fact, the backdrop of the immorality of our age provides an opportunity for our virtue to shine even brighter. And I believe one of the calls of God's people in in our moment in history now is to recover and realize that the holiness and the virtue to which God calls us gives us an immense opportunity in our world today to shine forth the kind of life to which Christ calls us, that we should seek virtue all the more. We should seek holiness all the more because of the world in which we're living. And then finally, as we'll find out in the book of Ruth, There are many characters who who coalesce to show forth this this beautiful human picture of what God is like. Many of God's positive attributes, his mercy, his compassion, his grace, his willingness to bestow mercy and to act for the benefit of another seemingly without respect to the payoff that it will give to him. These are the kinds of things that we see in Ruth. Pictures of grace, pictures of of love. God saves us in our wickedness out of pure grace. But the beginning of Ruth has us questioning all of those things. It almost feels a lot like the book of Judges right from the beginning. It feels like it's going to be rebellion and God's judgment and people crying out in anguish and immorality and running from God. So we ask, is it more of the same? Knowing that this is in the time of judges, is it just going to be more of the same? We focus in on Elimelech's family from chapter 1, and there's a famine in the land of Israel. And rather than staying where they are and seeking repentance and restoration with God, they run from the land of their inheritance and they go to the land of Moab. Now this is a human solution. This is a contrived solution by Elimelech, something that he should not have done. In the book of Judges, we see a lot of that, you know, running away from what God has given to his people. All throughout the Old Testament, we we see many places where God says, if you return to me, if you seek my face, if you repent of your sin, then I will restore you. I will bless you. I will give you that which you need. 
Deuteronomy chapter 30 is one of those places. The Lord will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. So when a famine came upon the land of Israel, their initial response should have been to look inward and to say, well, where have we gone astray? And certainly in Judges, there were many examples of that. And what they ought to do, what ought to have done would be seek God and seek repentance and restoration and he will refresh, he will restore. But instead of that, Elimelech runs and they go to Moab and they experience disaster upon disaster and tragedy upon tragedy. Elimelech dies probably too young and his sons die much too young. And here we have three widows. It's another aspect of what we see in Judges is blaming God. When things go badly, we blame God for our circumstances. And that's essentially what Naomi does, which is another discouraging sign in chapter 1. The name Naomi means pleasantness. And that's why when she goes back to Bethlehem, the women of the town say, can this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter." Call me bitterness. Is that's, my life is no longer sweet and pleasant. My life is bitter for the Lord has afflicted me, she says. God has brought all of these things upon me. So, so we don't have any sense that, that Naomi is looking into her own life in humility and saying, where can I seek to be restored before God because I know that I have sinned. I know that I was part of a family that ran from God. We're not told in so many words, that God had his judgment upon Elimelech and his family. But we do know that the proper response for them should not have been to go to Moab. It should have been to seek God and to repent, to remain where they are, that God would bless them in the land that he gave to them. But amidst all of this bad news, amidst this sense that things are going to go wrong and it's not going to go well, and certainly in the consideration that this is in the time of the judges, we are given welcome relief. We see God in his grace turn things around so that this is one of the more beautiful stories in all of Scripture. After the three men have died and the three widows are there in Moab, we read that God ends the famine in the land of Israel. So Naomi hears about this and she decides to go back to the land of her fathers. So it begins with grace. It begins with God ending the famine. It says he gave to his people bread. And so Naomi sets out to Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means the house of bread. So God is restocking the house of bread to draw Naomi back so that her family might come back so that through Ruth, God may give his people spiritual bread through King David, and ultimately through the bread of life, Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So all of those things together, I like uh, tracing those themes a little bit. But it begins with the grace of God. So she sets out to go back home. She makes a case to her daughters-in-law, however, as we read, don't come with me. Stay in in Moab. These are your people. These are your gods. I have nothing that I can give to you. She's saying, think about this rationally. Think about this reasonably. 
if you lay out all of the circumstances, know and understand that there's almost no situation where you're going to be able to have a normal and a stable life. I'm almost certainly headed for poverty and bitterness. Why would you come with me? At first they both resist, but eventually Orpah is won over by her logical arguments. Ruth, of course, is not. She refuses to leave. She clings to her mother-in-law. We don't really know anything about the character of Ruth at this point, why she would cling to her mother-in-law this way. She may have a strong connection to her. She may be more tender-hearted and just can't bear to, to leave her mother-in-law. It could simply be, and certainly it partially is, that the working of the sovereign God did not allow Ruth to do anything else. She withstands even a third plea from Naomi in verse 15. Your sister-in-law has gone back to your people and her gods. Go back with her. That's a striking statement. Naomi is showing another sign of the times of the judges where God's people, Israel, almost had this tribal deity kind of mentality. We have our God. The Moabites have their God, Chemosh and others. And uh, other people scattered throughout the world, they have their gods. And so we know that that even Naomi understands that to go back to Moab is a vote of confidence for their gods. It's trusting in the gods of Moab to give these young ladies what they want and what they hope for their lives. But Ruth does not listen. And that's the beauty of what we see in Ruth. And that's why it's such a, a beautiful picture of faith and trust and then sacrifice, devotion, and a desire to show forth the kind of love that God shows his people. Ruth's faith in the true God is, a, is an infant faith. It is, a, it is just the small beginnings, but it's a beautiful faith. And it's one that we ought to seek to emulate. So she gives these three declarations cemented by an oath. Where you go, I'll go. I'm not leaving you wherever you journey, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, which is kind of the center, the pinnacle of her declaration. Where you die, I shall be buried. I'm going to continue this way until my life ends. She considers Naomi her family. And she says, may God deal with me, which is the taking of an oath. May God deal with me severely if I fail to keep this promise. Ruth doesn't understand why she's in the situation that she's in. But what does she have? She has an openness to the workings of the God of Naomi. The true God. The God of scripture. And so she casts her lot with this God. To say, I will trust. I will go. Even though I don't understand. Even though I can't put all of the pieces together. I have an openness to his Working. It's a beautiful picture of faith. If we look forward, we know, of course, that Ruth will experience an act of redemption in this book. Through Boaz, through bearing a son, and through that Naomi will be redeemed. She was left empty, and she will be filled again. But at this moment, it's nothing but radical self-sacrifice. That's all that Ruth knows, that she's, she's leaving it all behind. She's casting her lot with the God of Naomi and saying, this is the direction I'm going. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to go. Sometimes the life of faith 
defies explanation. Sometimes to trust in the God of Scripture, to trust his promises, uh, oftentimes, and, and there's always some aspect of this, to live the kind of life he calls us to live, trusting in the inheritance laid up for us in heaven, something we can't see. To reject in many ways the things of this life and and this world. To say the kingdom of God is more valuable. Christ is more valuable. To have our time to seek those things and to uh, devote our lives to those things. That defies the explanations of human logic. It makes no sense. Ruth says, uh, Orpah could say, well, back in Moab, I, I at least have a chance to find a husband. Back in Moab, I at least have a chance for a normal life. Naomi says to Ruth, you have no chance for that. Uh, At least very little chance. Sometimes the life of faith defies explanation. And yet there Ruth is, casting her lot with the God of Israel. Indeed, she shows us this beautiful picture of trust. Oftentimes, brothers and sisters, these are the realities of life, aren't they? That we've gone off the path, the plan that we laid out for ourselves, the kind of life that we could take to God and say, God, if you could just make my life this way, I think this would be best. It's probably best for all of us. It would help me to serve you better and, and uh, to, to sort of be filled with a, with a pleasant, uh, sanctified life. It would help me to, to honor you more if you just filled my life with these things and kept these things away. Ruth doesn't know why, why is she there in the desert looking at her widowed mother-in-law, herself a widow, and being told by her mother-in-law, go back, just go back to your people, be logical, be reasonable. She says, no, I'm going to trust the God of Israel. An infant faith, but a beautiful faith nonetheless. And so she sacrifices, she gives up her chance for a normal life to cling to her mother-in-law, which uh, she's showing forth this compassion and grace that we ultimately see in God. And she, she leaves aside her, her own consideration of how she could benefit in the circumstances. She says, no, I'm going to, to live for you, Naomi. I'm going to be there for you. And what she seeks in the rest of the book is a redemption that's through her, but ultimately to fill Naomi again. Of course, we see this ultimately in Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be exploited, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's not to say there is no blessing for those who cast their lot with the God of Israel. That's one thing that Ruth teaches us, that you will never live to regret casting your lot with Israel's God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It should be our prayer that the, the experience that we all have is the man who finds the pearl of great price, That he finds this pearl and he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can attain that one beautiful piece. A man finds a treasure hidden in a field. He covers it up and goes and sells all that he has so he can have that property so that he can have that treasure. It's worth everything. You will never live to regret casting your lot with the God of Israel when you do it in genuine faith 
when you do it with all sincerity. True enough that life in Christ and life by faith in God will often take us off the paths that we have paved for ourselves. But if we can show faith and trust and openness to the workings of God, our life can be filled with that kind of sacrifice, that kind of devotion that Ruth shows to her mother-in-law, and a desire to show forth the way that God loves to the rest of the world. But there is blessing. There is blessing both in this life and the next. What do we receive when we cast our lot with the God of Scripture? What do we receive when we say, I'm going this way. I'm rejecting the gods of Moab, and I'm going with the God of Israel. What do we get? The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. To know God as a loving father. To know Christ as a, as a humble and loving prophet and priest and king. To have the Holy Spirit given to us that we may know all of the blessings of God in this life and await the ultimate blessing in the next. Our lives can be filled with immense blessing, and we will never regret it. Ruth shows us true piety expressed in faith and devotion and kindness towards others. In many ways, she's opposite of Elimelech and Naomi, isn't she? Because Elimelech, when he's faced with difficult circumstances, he creates his own solution, runs away. Naomi blames God in the midst of her circumstances. God has made me bitter. And yet Ruth, with a humble faith, is open to God's working and shows it forth in her life with this beautiful picture of the grace of God. So as you look to Ruth, we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see the benevolence of God, the compassion, the the outward love of God towards his people, that he saves us and brings us into his family. Just like Ruth, Jesus, left his homeland to go walk in a place that in many ways we could consider unfamiliar, even though he had created it all. But he walked through this earth with no place to lay his head. Ruth mirrors the devotion of Christ and the hesed love of God. As God, who is rich in mercy, even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. You take stock of all of this, and as we go through the story of Ruth, we're going to see many things. But as you look at what happens in chapter 1, what do you see? A family taken off the road that they wish they could have walked. Doubts about their circumstances. You have different kinds of reactions to it. What's the proper reaction? An openness to God's working. I don't know why we made that turn, but I trust that God can take me where he will lead me. And I trust that I will ever be found in his grip. And because of that, because of that faith, because of that trust, that kind of trust, we can live our lives with sacrifice to what we had planned. Devotion towards others and those whom God brings in our path. And a desire to show forth the kind of love that God has for his people. Gracious, benevolence, pure mercy and grace. May God empower us all uh, to live in such a way as we are found in the power of Christ, the one who came for us, the one who acted in our interest and through whose blood we are saved forevermore.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you and we praise you for this word. We pray that through it, uh, you might build us up in the faith and that we would give you all of the glory. We thank you for this beautiful picture of faith that we see in the book of Ruth. Even a picture of the Savior. And uh, we pray that as we think about this passage and others today, uh, that you would receive all of the glory and that we would be encouraged uh, for, the, for the road ahead this week. Keep us faithful to you, always, always by your grace and by your power. Forgive us of our many sins. In Christ's name, amen.